She is retired Detroit police officer. On scene when a fellow officer, Patrick Prome, was shot and killed. She's here to tell her story, what happened, and the details of her book explaining what happened after. It's called Officer's Nightmare. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's J-A-Y at letradio.com. This is the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. We're joined by Donna Wadaika. Donna is retired Detroit, Michigan police officer. And she is also author of the book, Officer's Nightmare, talking about the murder of Detroit police officer Patrick Prome. She was on scene four. Uh, Donna, first of all, thanks for your service. Secondly, thanks for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Very much appreciated. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to have you here. And I wish we could talk about all the, the fluffy, nice stuff that police do and there's a lot there, there's quite a bit that I did I'm sure there's quite a bit that you did but there's a lot of things that we see that are very traumatic very violent and unfortunately any police career goes through that but you also went through a police officer partner being shot and killed am I correct that's correct I gotta ask you a question one of the things that really draws me batty and I, I do love police I really do when something really bad happens, these so-called experts will come out and say, well, if I was there, I would have done this. And my usual reply is, you weren't there, so let's just shut it. Did you encounter that afterwards? Uh, yes, I did. With uh, It's a special unit, and they all came out, which that was the unit Pat belonged to. So... They could have. They they sat there and said we would things would have been different. He would have been alive. Um, you guys did something wrong, and so on. Well, how much of that guess, is? Look, we we always want to look for, and I hate to say it this way, and I don't I don't want to sound judgy, but we look at past incidents and we learn from those incidents. For example, the, the FBI shootout in Miami, where the, their officers still they had empty brass in their hand from emptying it in a gunfight, which we did at the range. And from that day on, it was never taught again. You're never allowed to do that. Other things we learned from horrible experiences. So part of that's natural, but a big part of it also, in my opinion, is people wanting to find blame other than the criminal. Was that your take on this? I think so. Um, I think um, the other officers thought we didn't respond quick enough or I don't know. I didn't know what was going through their head because I just wanted him to get away from me. Take us back to that day. What happened? Um, my partner and I, Chris, uh, were working from 12 to 8 that day on January 9th, 12 a.m. 
Uh, we went to roll call. After roll call, we got in our car, got off the ramp, and it was pretty quiet. Very cold, but pretty quiet. Then around 1230, we received information over the radio that Pat and his partner were following a stolen vehicle, a pink Cadillac. So we were only like two, three blocks away from them, and we announced that we were going to back them up. As we were approaching the corner, uh, we noticed that the two cars, the suspect's car and the officer's car, were side by side at a light. And we informed Pat that we were pulling up and we pulled up behind the suspect car. And at that time, he pulled in front to blockade the car. So we exited, all four of us exited the vehicle, approached the suspect's car, and Pat and I took the driver's side. Christy and Barb took the passenger side. We asked the driver, um, we ordered the driver four times, twice by Pat, twice by me. Uh, mine was a little forceful and a little explicit to get out of the car. Once he failed to comply, we decided to open, snuggle up against the car, open up the door. As us being a little taller, we knew he couldn't get past us. So Pat opened the door and... Cooper was the suspect. Cooper put one foot out on the on the pavement, turned over his shoulder, and sh- fired one shot, striking Pat in the head. Um, Pat immediately fell to the ground. And when I looked at Pat, I looked back at Cooper, and he was standing up. I fired one shot at him. Um, we had a situation in Detroit a few years prior that officers overkilled somebody. And with that being in the back of my mind, I didn't want to overkill. I didn't want, I didn't want the, the department to come after me after what I just saw. So I fired the one shot, waited to see. Um, Cooper looked at his stomach, looked back up at me and started raising his weapon again. At that time, I backed up a few feet, um, and I shot two shots simultaneously with Christy, which I didn't see her back up from the car a little bit, which she had. So after he got shot the four times simultaneously, um, he stumbled and then fell near the curb of the street. At that time, I called on the radio that we had an officer shot and an officer downed. I was told by dispatcher that EMS was 30 minutes away and to do the best we can. But by that time, we were only six blocks from the station. So all I'm hearing now is sirens coming from every direction by that corner. So I knew we would have somebody there soon. There was still two other people in the car. There was one in the passenger seat and one behind the passenger in the back seat. So Christy and uh, Barb were watching those two as everybody's pulling up. Once we had backup, Christy and Barb um, ordered the other two out of the out of the car. I would I could not focus on the other side of the car. I was watching Cooper 
Cooper because all he was doing was moaning and groaning and flopping around on the ground like a fish. And I couldn't tell where the gun went that he had in his hands. So I had my gun pointed at him trying to see where the gun was. Later, I found the gun behind me because when we shot him, he threw it behind me. But at that time, we were waiting. We got their backup and our bosses, the uh, commander, the inspector, all arrived at the same scene around the same time. I got to ask you this, and then we got to go to a break. You you were not aware if the threat was over at that point, so you had to maintain visual contact on him. Am I wrong? That is correct. I had a I had to make sure he wasn't going to shoot me or the other two officers. We're talking with Donna Wadika. Donna is retired Detroit, Michigan police officer, also author of the book. Officer's Nightmare. She's got several books written. Just do a Google search for Donna. Common spelling. Wadika. W-U-D-Y-K-A. And I'm sure you'll find her. You can find us on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. This is Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. I want to tell you about a product actually a line of products that have changed my life dramatically juice plus health products i know many of you like me are skeptical about claims made for these nutritional supplements however these juice plus products have made a world of difference for me the simplest cheapest least expensive product they have as a result of taking it a chewable berry flavored product I've had full night's sleep every night and zero leg cramps. I know, doesn't seem like a lot, but getting good night's sleep and having a stable mood helps me quite a bit. You can get more details about Juice Plus products at letpops.com. That's letpops.com. And for those of you looking for a great business opportunity, check out letpops.com. I am Meg Marie O'Rourke from Harmony with Food. Do you ever wonder what foods you should or should not be consuming based on your own unique needs? At Harmony with Food, we are now able to determine exactly what foods we should or should not be consuming through advanced testing. Test, don't guess is the motto at Harmony with Food's BioUnique Boutique program. It has never been easier than now to determine what food, drinks, and supplements you need for your individualized needs. Head over to HarmonyWithFood.com and click on the testing tab. This is Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by Donna Wadika. Donna is retired Detroit police officer. She's talking about the incident where her partner, police officer Patrick Prome, was shot, and we found out later on he was killed. And he was shot by a, a car thief uh, and, and a pink Cadillac. There, there's no sensical thing, there's no sensical explanation to this. People would say, and I, I've gotten tired of these these questions. Donna is, why would a car thief steal a pink Cadillac? Don't they know they'll stand out? I'm thinking <laughs> they're not. Contrary to what you think, and you can see on TV, they're not. They're not criminal geniuses. They do stupid things all the time. Yes, they do. Uh, I and he, one of the, the the incident that ended my career was involving a stolen Toyota van. 
and I was following it around, and it kept moving. Backup was going to one area, and it moved to another area. And long story short, when I got the guy out of the car, I had my gun out because he was reaching around, and I thought he might be reaching for a weapon. He made a play for my service revolver, was still in my hand, and we went up fighting for the gun. And while it was pointed at my face, he it was fired six times. Fortunately, I survived. He survived. I thought I sprained my wrist. I had multiple surgeries, multiple steel plates put in my right hand. I was retired at the age of 33. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, I'm kind of surprised you, you mentioned the suspect's name because I've done my best to forget every suspect's name. Uh, there's a couple still linger, but uh, I, I'm getting a lot better at becoming more forgetful with my old age. Some of these things don't go away. And you're talking about Patrick was shot in the head. You saw him fall. You talked about shooting the suspect. You talked about your actions afterwards. I got to ask you this. When I was involved in these lethal, deadly force situations, time slowed down. I didn't hear what my partners were saying. A lot of things that they talk about, tunnel vision, audio, being messed up. Was that a situation for you? It sure was. I mean, it's uh, the the speed of it was real slow. After I shot the first shot at Cooper, then everything seemed to slow down. Um, like everything was in slow motion. Christy was saying something to me, and I couldn't understand what she was saying. And then when the two shots, when I shot two shots, then everything just tunnel vision and focused on, on Cooper as he was laying on the ground. Well, that makes totally sense to me. But a lot of people would say, well, that's a sign of a cover-up because this officer saw something, said something, and this one says they didn't hear them. And I, the best way I can explain it is one of the last shootings I was in, my partner who was sitting right next to me in a patrol car was yelling at the top of his lungs, don't get out of the car. And all I heard was like a TV in the background in another room. I, I could tell there was he was saying something, but I couldn't tell what it was. Right. To this day, I have no idea what he said. If he didn't tell me, I, I wouldn't know. Did you have benefits of body camera at that point, or was that something before th- that came into fruition in Detroit? No, we were a Stone Age. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. Nowadays, had, I, I wouldn't go out nothing. the street with, without him. What I got to ask you is, you revised the EMS was 30 minutes away. Did you Correct. all put Patrick in the patrol car and take him to the hospital? Um, some of his his fellow workers picked him up and put him in the car to go to the hospital. Other officers picked up Cooper and took him downtown to the first precinct headquarters, not knowing he was shot. So when he arrived at the first precinct, they walked him in and he kept complaining of a stomach ache. And like any other criminal, you know, you say, shut the up. Well, when he got to the elevator to get to the um, detention area, he collapsed. And when he collapsed, um, they unzipped his jacket, and lo and behold, there's all the bullet holes. Uh, he had one of those puffy jackets on, didn't he? He had a leather jacket with the um, with the bottom that, that kind of cups to you. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, yep. I, and the reason I say that is because it's not uncommon. We had, number one, and I'm sure you, you experienced this, we had people shot, and sometimes when you can see the injury, it looks like a stab wound. Uh, the entry is not like what you see on television. But quite often, did you ever find yourself in a position where shots are being fired and you have to frisk yourself afterwards? The, Am I okay? Did I get hit? Yes. That's, yes, that's totally understandable. I can't tell you how many times I did that. Going back to the incident that you're talking about, when did you find out how bad the situation was with Patrick? After the guys took Cooper, they took Cooper first. And I kept yelling, let's get Pat. But when I looked at Pat laying on the ground, I realized his chest wasn't moving. Yeah. And I knew. They, uh, I mean, I was hoping for the best that they'd bring him back, but I knew he died. And then it wasn't confirmed until um, my partner and I and Barbara went to homicide section for interrogation. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's an interrogation. I, I People love to use the term interview. Uh, look, I tell people there's a fine line between an interview and interrogation. I've been interrogated quite a bit. Uh, yeah. And we'll get to that point in just a moment. I, I want to go back to the incident. Uh, was there anything out of the ordinary from and I hate to say it this way an ordinary store in stolen car we know things can turn south in a heartbeat they usually don't the guy's blocked in he can't get anywhere he can't go away you did the right things was there anything that in hindsight you go man if I'd noticed this beforehand maybe things have been indifferent um well what we found out when we were sitting in homicide was two of the occupants came from Kalamazoo, Michigan. They robbed a crack house earlier, like 11 o'clock or or earlier than that. They robbed a crack house in uh, Kalamazoo. They shot three people. One died. One was paralyzed. And they came to Detroit to hide. Meantime... They dumped the car that they originally had and picked up the pink Cadillac. Once here, they picked up what we were told was one of the uncles, and they were driving in the car. So they had two guns in a car and I think around 90 rocks of crack cocaine. Yeah. And uh, robbed a crack house killing somebody. But you didn't know that that at the time, did you? We had no idea... I mean, would have would it have made a difference? I don't know. Maybe if we knew that, we would have had a lot more backup there, and not just a stolen car. Well, the, the, and you and I both know this: criminals don't walk around with a sign saying, "Hey, I just shot three people and killed one." Uh, you right. know, and treat me with with uh, all due care and caution. They don't do that. As a matter of fact, I, I got to tell you. People would say to me, how did you know he was a dope dealer? And I'm like, he dressed like a dope dealer. He hung around in an area where they're (laughs) slinging dope all day long, and he acted like a dope dealer. Plus, I have to know the guy. Uh, They made it very easy for you back in the beeper days of, by the way, he only had two beepers on him. 
And I didn't know doctors that had two beepers on them uh, or lawyers. Uh, we we're talking with Donna Wadika. Donna is a retired Detroit police officer, also author of the book Officer's Nightmare. She's talking about the incident where police officer Patrick Prome was shot and killed. She and her partner wound up using a deadly force. When we return to the conversation, we're going to talk about the aftermath. This is a law enforcement talk radio show. Trust me, we'll be right back. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's jay at letradio.com. Discover the exciting world of podcasts at hefepods.com. From captivating stories to life advice and much more. There's a podcast for every interest and passion. Be entertained by your favorite radio personalities in both English and Spanish. Don't waste any more time. Find a great English or Spanish language podcast to follow and discover a world of possibilities in your own language. Find the best podcasts at chefepods.com. During our conversation with Donna Wadika, who's a retired Detroit police officer, and also author of the book, one of her books is called Officer's Nightmare. Just do a Google search for Donna Wadika, W-U-D-Y-K-A, and you are bound to find it. Or look for Officer's Nightmare, the book, on Google, and you'll find it as well. And my apologies to you and the, the family of Patrick Brome and uh, the department. Uh, those things, even if it was in the 90s, 96 was when he was killed. It stays with you for a very, very long time. And the agency, the community feels it for a very long time as well. Uh, so my thoughts and prayers for you, and I, I, I sounds feeble saying that. Thank you. I do Thank know you. that when you have to use deadly force, number one, and I'm going to ask you this in a question, Are you were you aware that you would actually shot him uh, or were you thinking these are not working? Well, the first, after the first shot, when he didn't go down, um, I mean, I was only like two feet away from him. So it's like, okay, these are Glocks. We just got the Glocks maybe two months prior. We had the 38 prior to that. So here I am, okay, this is a Glock and he hasn't moved. And then when we had shot the other two, then you saw movement. So I said, okay, this gun is pretty good. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, that I, I had the frequent nightmares about, I don't have them too much anymore, was the, the gun not working. It, either the bullet dribbling out at the end uh, or not firing or worse yet, hitting an innocent bystander. Uh, was that going through your mind at all when the shots are being fired or did you not, like in most really bad situations, I never had time to think until afterwards. Well, that was the first time I had an automatic and I heard horrible stories of how they jam and I was just praying mine didn't jam during that and it didn't did it it did not no, no. Uh, point blank question was this happening so fast you never had a chance to really think about it until afterwards or was it and I know it doesn't make sense logically timeline wise but you, you said earlier I didn't want to overfire because I didn't want to be called to the carpet. Were you aware right. of that when it was happening? Yes, 
And, and that is what bugged me. It's like all the things you can think of, I'm thinking, do not overkill this man or I'll be up on charges. That's what happened before to officers. And that's the thing about delay and second-guessing themselves that that a lot of people, including myself, have problems with. Yes. I mean, believe me, I wanted to empty my clip with them. I was so angry. But, like I said, Detroit was the worst for putting officers up on charges for excessive force. Emptying a whole clip on a guy, to me, would have been excessive force, but... It was a thought. When you said you were so angry, I remember clearly, and I, I don't know how to describe this, Donna, when people shot at me, my first reaction is, you don't even know who I am. I mean, why are you trying to kill me? Number two, mm-hmm. it's immediately followed by, uh, and I, the only term I can come up with is primordial anger, where I am out of control. Yes. Yes. And I think that's uh, that self-preservation thing. It's adrenaline kicking in, the the fight or flight and all that stuff. I don't, I'm not a physiologist. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on the radio or television. But it, it doesn't surprise me that you were extremely angry. Right, right. And quite often, these officers will say really th- things that are not cool when that happens. Exactly. Or worse yet, I watch these television shows. I watch Dirty Harry. They always have some smart alky comment to make, and they're cool. And here mm-hmm. I am sounding like one of the banshees and just a, a total idiot uh, and thinking, that's that guy's not cool. And in a way, I got to ask you this, Donna. The facts of video camera would have given more facts right away, which probably beneficial for you. But a lot of people have that have seen videos afterwards criticize themselves in a response uh, do you feel like it was a benefit for you benefit for you for you not having the video for that reason um being a white female in detroit it um it would have been good in, in some situations but in this no no there there was it was just simple cut and dry there was no no um second guesses or second chances so i i would i'm fine without a video but in some cases i would have loved to have one are you okay with how you handled yourself during that incident um i am now i dealt with a lot of survivor's guilt oh trust me that is a bear to deal with oh my goodness yes i mean we were only we weren't even inches apart we were both snug together and I don't, you know, it just happened to hit him and not me. And being the, um, Barb was, was the, um, highest seniority there. I was beyond, behind Barb about five months of, of seniority. But, um, we won't get deep into it. Ran when the shots were fired. Mm-hmm. Had no clue what happened. And, for me, then being the um, the highest seniority, no, I I kept going over what could have been different, how could I, you know, why did this happen? We did everything right, but we didn't because somebody died. I don't care about the the, the suspect. I cared about Pat. Yeah, I, I, so, I yeah. get it. 
I, I, I do get it. Uh, on one of the, in a prior episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast, a, a gentleman who's a retired NYPD um, emergency services unit, and he talked about a barricade situation where the guy wound up killing his two children, and he used the word failed. And I was like, dude, I understand why you feel that way, but you did everything you could. We're not God. We're not Superman. You did right. everything you could. And do you sometimes feel like, man, even in spite of all that, I still failed? I do at times, yes. I had a hard time with that. I, I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying it because I understand. Uh, and one of the things that I say all the time, Donna, is you know, my dad died of lung cancer 30-some-odd years ago. And time doesn't heal all wounds, as far as I'm concerned. You just get more used to it. Would that be a good explanation for you? That is right on. That is right on. You did everything right. You did everything you could. Uh, Everything you should have done, you did. If you had known how it had turned out before, for you know foresight is blind hindsight's 2020 if you'd known what was going to happen i'm sure you would act differently right absolutely regardless of your gender that's the one thing that a lot of people man and i don't know how to say this gingerly but we had when i was hired in the police department our commissioner referred to female officers in a way that was not complimentary and that was 1980, which now seems like a long time ago. 1996 seems like a long time ago. Was that still an issue for you back then? It wasn't too bad with the department. I have to say, especially our precinct. Our precinct had to be the best in the city. Everybody got along. Um, nobody had any gripes of who partners were. But a lot of our bosses, they couldn't see two fe- two white females out there on midnights that was a little hard convincing them but they listened to us and all in all we did pretty darn good out there well and the truth is when i started in policing we had every walk of life we had male we had gay we had lesbians we had a lot of females we had every religion you can think of and quite often the female officers even the ones who were very small stature were some of the best of the best while some of the biggest most muscular guys at times had moments where some people would call them cowards. This is the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. We'll turn our conversation with Donna Wadaika in just a few moments. You can find us on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. What is the Haunting or Not podcast? It's a free podcast that takes a different approach to ghost stories, hauntings, and cases of demonic forces. Husband and Wife podcast hosts mix comedy, facts, and a healthy dose of police evidence skepticism to help you decide. Are these hauntings or not? Helping you decide what's real and what is fake or an overhyped exaggeration. From world-famous cases to lesser-known reports, they talk about them all in the Haunting or Not podcast, available for free on most podcast platforms. Or do a Google search for Haunting or Not podcast. This is the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Return of Conversation with Donna Wadaika, retired Detroit police officer. I always want to say 
Detroit, Michigan, for some reason. <laughs> my ex-wife, one of my daughters, they just came back from vacation in Detroit, Michigan, and they had a great time. They went to, uh, I think it was a Motown Museum, a bunch of other things, and, and it honestly, nice. done, I'm a little bit jealous, because I, I would like to go check that stuff out. Oh, cool. Come on up and I'll show you around. And I do kind of like your accent, to be honest with you. <laughs> so you you went through the worst thing. And, and without using a pun, but the name of your book, it's an officer's nightmare. We're talking about when your partner, police officer Patrick Prome, was shot and killed. And you, your partner, wound up using deadly force. The suspect who shot and killed police officer Patrick Prome wound up being killed as well. And you got interrogated. I'm sure you were called on the carpet and brought before homicide or investigators, all that stuff. How how important was that? And how significant was that for you? Um, I hated it. Um, we got to homicide about one one fifteen, and I didn't get let out of homicide until seven a.m. And the two perpetrators were out the door by three o'clock, out the door. So I had a little, a little anger issues with that. Yeah, you're allowed um, to. You're, you're one of the things in Baltimore, and I don't know if that way in Detroit. I imagine it is. When you have a a shooting and someone is killed and the shooter is a police officer, they're the suspect, and the victim is the the person who was killed. Was that the case for you all? Yes. And they don't go into whether it's justified or not. That's the decision someone else makes. And and part of it is you are, I, I can only imagine, you are interrogated as if you are a suspect. They ask you the same questions over and over and over again, see if your story will change. Is that what you went through? Yes. Um, they had us all separated rooms, made sure our stories all matched up, um, had a way for the union lawyer to get there to type up our reports, which I could have done a better job myself, just saying. Um, it was in the long run after they did not charge the uncle um, at all. They did not charge the passenger. They shipped him back to Kalamazoo for those charges. And no charges were brought on either crack cocaine, gun in the car, shooting of an officer, accomplice, whatever, nothing. And what about you and your partner? We were good. We were clear. Um, First time I got fingerprinted as a suspect. Uh, I I hear you laugh when you say that because it's it's totally contradictory. I don't think the other two were were uh, fingerprinted, but there was issues with that. The aftermath, um, arguing with homicide of why nobody was being charged, but it, it the aftermath is unbelievable. And if I heard it from somebody, I wouldn't have believed it. And as time went on with the department and dealing with the department. That's when I decided to write a book about it because it was so unbelievable. Christy and I could not understand what they were doing. And to this day, I still don't understand a lot of things. Uh, And we'll talk about your book in just a moment. I got to ask you this. How how big of an impact was it on you for the rest of your career and your personal life? 
it was a big impact. Um, I, I lost all respect for unions. I lost all respect for brass. Um, I dealt with some of the corrupted brass anybody has seen in this in the United States. And I, there is absolutely no, um, no respect for them. Detroit. Now, I appreciate other brass until they show me wrong, but Union, Union did not do one thing for us. Why? Two reasons. Because we did everything right. They didn't have to back us up. And two, because I was a and caused too much trouble. And now, are you still is- a troublemaker? <laughs> no, actually, I'm sitting in the back seat all the time. That's quite it's all right. Good. It I, ain't I, worth it to me. I bring it up to you. That's exactly my point. Look, it's someone else's job today, not mine. Sure. And I agree with you and a lot of the things you said uh, that I, I say this in my old department in Baltimore, and I worked with some of the best people ever. And I have nothing but great memories and, and great experiences with them. But those who made rank, especially those who got above the exempt rank, captain and above, generally the ones who didn't do anything in their careers, they were the last ones to show up. They never got complaints. They never did anything. And they were the first ones to act in a judgmental way against their officers. Yeah. And I will go so far as to say that the street was stressful. That created a lot of trauma. But most Everyone I know, the biggest source of trauma for them was their own agency and their command staff. Would you agree? Okay. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. How much longer were you policing after that? Um, I never went back. They tried to force me back, um, and Christy. But I told them unless they decide to prosecute, I wouldn't put one foot back as an officer. And they never prosecuted. I wanted to give Pat's children some answers. And as they were growing up, they were just young kids then. As they were growing up, one of the daughters said to me, you know, what difference does it make? My dad, because she was starting to get into trouble. And she goes, what difference does it make? They didn't even prosecute my dad's killer. Right. And that was like an ouch. But then she kind of grew up a little more. And I have to say, now the kids are fantastic. Good, good. They're happy. They have good lives. Happy married kids. And they're doing well. And I'm sorry that this happened to them. Um, mm-hmm. You wrote a book about this. It's called Officer's Nightmare. What Was it therapeutic? Was it unleashing your anger? Was it a combination of all of the above? It was a combination of both. I was so angry on... Um, that I couldn't believe a city would treat their own this way. And then as I was writing it and getting everything, all the facts together, it was therapeutic. And like I said, um, a lot of things changed when they found out the book was out. Um, Before, this is the second edition of it. They stopped printing it uh, back in 2002. And people were telling me to rewrite it and get it back out there. And that's what I did now. What possessed you to write this book? I I thought, uh, Donna, when I retired from police work and I had all this time on my hands, I'm air quoting, that I would do one of two things. I would either write the great American novel like Joseph Wamba or open an Irish (laughs) tavern. And it turns out I did neither one. And thank goodness, because 
If I start writing a book, I don't think I'll finish anytime soon. Oh, it's it's it was it's really good. It is, I mean, I was thinking about. I mean, that's that was a terrible time. So I was thinking about the fun times. I had a lot of fun times out there. Yeah, more than I can say. And how would you and describe would, how would you describe your life today now? I I live wonderful now. I'm happy. Um, I don't let stress bother me anymore. Good for you. Good for you. The name of your book is called Officer's Nightmare. Where can people find this? Um, Amazon carries it. Amazon helped me publish it. So Amazon's a good thing. Um, yeah, Amazon. And are you, do you have a website or are you on social media? Can people reach out to you? I am. I do have a website. It is DonnaDashWodica.com. Donna-Wadaika.com. And I'm sure you can find yeah. all the information there and people can yes. contact you on your website as well. That's correct. Donna, I appreciate you oh so much for your service and then also for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, being a guest, telling your story. It's not an easy thing. It's very much appreciated. And on behalf of all of our listeners, thank you so much. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.